0: and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. I hope you'll look and understand from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, the real story, not the rest of the story, the real story as it was presented, and learn the wonderful lessons God would have for you and for me from this chapter. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to the truth of this story. Help us to get a glimpse of, uh, of the real difficulty and the crisis that Joseph faced at the beginning of this story. And, and then, Father, may we see Jesus as he truly is. As the uh, announcement proclaimed, as the angel, the angel that spoke to Joseph shared. And I pray that you would help us to... Not only understand this passage, but may it be an encouragement to our heart. And may it stir those who are not part of the family of God to become part of the family of God. And we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen. Where does the story of the birth of Jesus start? Well, we could argue, we, go, we could go back to the book of Luke with, with the first appearance to, uh, to Mary. Uh, We could argue as well, and there are other things that Luke shares that Matthew doesn't. But when Matthew begins the story of the the life of Christ, after giving the genealogy, which was very important, you remember, from last Sunday night, I hope. Uh, But as he begins in the story, he doesn't start with this wonderful fuzzy picture, you know, this beautiful picture that we all conjure up in our mind of a babe in a manger and a beautiful scene. Actually, the truth of the matter is, The picture that is given in the Bible here in this passage is uh, really a very difficult one. Notice again the words. Now, the birth of of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Hey, look, what's a more proper picture, according to Matthew, of the story of the Christ child? Well, I'll tell you what. It's a little bit more like this. This is maybe how, in my mind, I could picture it. Uh, it's something like this. Nine months before. This is not possible. How can I have a baby? I've never had a relationship with a man before. Yeah. She said later, be it unto me according to thy word. But the angel had to convince her. In fact, the angel convinced her by saying to Mary... Uh, you know Elizabeth is with child; she couldn 't have a child, and she's she 's well along and uh and why don 't you go see and Mary did but the the scene, if you would, starting the Christmas story is one of this is impossible, and the angel said to Mary, with God, nothing shall be impossible well then. Uh, we moved to six months before. Now it's possible nine months before, but our scene in verse 18 seems to be probably a little bit more in the area of six months before the birth of Jesus. You say, why is that? Because when Mary was given that announcement and she was told about Elizabeth, she went to visit Elizabeth, her relative, who was about 70 miles away or so. And after uh, after a, a long time there, she was there about three months, she came back. She was told Before she left, she was going to have a baby. Three months' time has taken place. And what happens with a lady who's pregnant? Yeah, they start to show. Uh, It's very likely that when she left, she didn't say anything to Joseph, probably because she didn't really know if this could possibly be true. But when she saw Elizabeth and what the uh, angel had already told her, and then she put it all together, you know, it is true. What God said is true. He can do this even though I haven't had a relationship with a man so the story doesn't start in this wonderful pretty major. it doesn't start with this couple that's traveling it starts with a lady who says i can't believe this could be happening to me and the angel saying with god nothing is impossible three months later she comes back and well you know like a, an expectant woman she's showing so her first meeting is with her husband well the one she's engaged to—that's the term we would use today—engagement. In that day, was a lot different than it is in this day. They didn't call it engagement. He, she was a spouse to him. She was her. He was. He and her, as far as the scriptures were concerned, were pretty much married. As far in, as in mind, they hadn't been in action, but they were married. In fact the term that's used in this very passage about what Joseph was going to do is the same term that's used for the divorcing of a couple that are married. He was going to put her away and that was the term that was used for divorce. So, look, this engagement was a very, very serious thing. Now you say, "Well, well, why was he doing that? Let me tell you why. Because his wife came back pregnant. Now, that, that sort of shatters the fuzzy picture. I, I didn't really mean to ruin your Christmas view. But the Bible wants you to get a, a different picture. And it does. It actually starts in great crisis. Here is a man who loves this woman named Mary. And, and Mary, as far as he knows, is a godly woman. She loves the Lord. But when she comes back from time away... Three months after she left, she is showing and she's talking to to Joseph and telling him, at least we would suppose, she has told him, Look, an angel came to me and told me I was going to have a baby. I have not had a relationship. And she could have told Joseph a million times, but the Bible says Joseph was a just man and wasn't willing to make her a public example. So, what did Joseph think? Come on, let's be realistic about this. This is a crisis. This isn't, we're going to have a baby. This is wonderful. This is crisis. This is difficult time. Here is a a man who's confronted with a, a, a woman that he planned to marry and live with for the rest of his days. And he was excited about that and thrilled about that. And he finds out she's pregnant. And no matter what she says, he can't get it out of his mind. Look, you can't have a baby without having a physical relationship. It just doesn't happen. Really? It doesn't happen? No, it doesn't happen. It takes that physical relationship, and never has that ever happened in the history of mankind. It hasn't. Even those who couldn't have children had a physical relationship, and God blessed that, and God took care of it, like Abraham and Sarah. But here in this story, it starts. It doesn't start in the beautiful manger. It doesn't start in this wonderful scene of these people traveling to Uh, to Jerusalem, it starts with a man who sees a pregnant wife in Matthew and he doesn't understand or doesn't know what he's going to do. So we have, if you would, three scenes before us in our passage. We have, first of all, the inconceivable crisis or the conflict. Now, I love what Matthew did because if you look at the end of verse 18, even though it's a rather dismal scene at the start, He does want to remind us at the end of that verse, she was a child of the Holy Ghost. Do you know there's some four or five times you can get reference to the fact that Matthew wants everyone to understand Mary never had a physical relationship with a man. She was pure. She was a virgin. And that, by the way, is in fulfillment of Scripture, and it had to be. But there's some four or five times he says in this narrative, even though Joseph didn't know it, uh, and now Mary did because she had been told by the angel and she had accepted his word. But Joseph didn't know it at this point. And so he sees this, he has this, this woman he's supposed to marry and she is she is expecting and this is a grave situation. Here he is, he's trying to make the decision and the decision is, do I put her away or not? And it isn't whether he was going to put her away, it's how am I supposed to do this? So Get this, in his mind, it's already a done deal. I'm not going to marry this woman. I can't marry this woman. She's been unfaithful. That's all he knows. And that's all he understands. Now, are you starting to get a little different picture than maybe we have of the scene? We, we like to make it really pretty. But quite honestly, this starts in great crisis. A man who's struggling and battling with this thought, what am I going to do? And the truth of the scripture is that he was a good man. He was a just man. And being a just man, he didn't want to embarrass her. Being a just man, he didn't want to shame her. She was going to be shamed enough. Because a woman who had a a baby out of wedlock, well, in our day, that's no big deal. It should be, but it isn't. But in that day... It was a big deal. We don't understand the, the, the real depth of it, but it really meant basically that she was going to be shunned. She was going to be shunned by everyone. She was going to be shamed. This was not something to be proud of and say, oh, look, we, we're not married, but we're having a baby. This was an embarrassing thing. It was a shameful thing, and it still is in God's eyes, by the way, and that's a free message for this morning. But it's sad that we make light of, and and many times we look in favor upon someone that's expectant when they're not married. And that is a sin. It's wicked. It's godless. It's evil. But it wasn't evil in Mary's case because Mary hadn't had a relationship with a man. She was pure. She was clean. But Joseph didn't know that. So his whole mentality is how can I do this and I love the way it's worded here because being a just man he didn't want to make her a public example which would often be the case with someone who was expectant but they didn't uh, but and they had been immoral and they had been unfaithful to their future mate no he wasn't going to do that his mind was I'm going to do this privately we're going to do this in, in in secret we're going to be as Discreet as we possibly can. Now, I'll tell you, I I just can't... I I have a hard time even fathoming the the heartbreak that's going on in this man. But this is a, a grave situation and a grave circumstance he finds himself in. And I love the relief that the angel of the Lord gives him. It says in verse 20, But while he thought on these things... Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. There we have Matthew telling us again. He told you in the first place, Joseph didn't know it, but I want you to know it. This baby is of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you a second time, this baby is of the Holy Ghost. Mary has not had a relationship with a man. This is a virgin birth, this is a miraculous work. And that message from the heavenly angel was a great blessing to Joseph at a time of great distress. What am I supposed to do? Man, I think this, this is By the way, God didn't remove that. He could have come to Joseph at any time, couldn't he? He could have come to Joseph and Mary at the same time. I mean, they were engaged to be married and he could have come, the angel could have come with Mary at a time when Joseph and Mary would have both heard the message in the first place. But he didn't because God had a plan. And part of that plan, get this, involved great difficulty for Mary, for Joseph. By the way, irregardless of what Joseph did, you don't think there was a lot of talk? Here's a couple, they're not married. Mary comes back, and my, it looks like she's expecting. What's going on there? So we have all these things going on and this great difficulty in this great crisis but in this great crisis a wonderful thing is done because not only do we have this inconceivable crisis that Joseph has to go through we have the incomparable uncom- Christ which pic- is pictured for us in verse 21 because after the angel tells Joseph all right look Understand this, Mary has been faithful to you. She hasn't had a relationship, but she is expecting. And she is going to have a child, and that child is a child that the Holy Ghost has conceived. And I want you to know that, and I want you to know something about him. And isn't this wonderful, because this is where we have the, you know, the Christmas story, right? Here's where we have the wonderful picture of what this baby is all about And in those three verses, what the angel said and what was shared with Joseph is the great message we like to preach. In fact, that's a lot of times what people focus on in Matthew chapter 1. We skip the 18, 19, and 20 because those are the verses that really aren't all that pleasant to talk about. But they're reality and they'll teach us a lesson that we need to know for life. But I love verses 21 to 23 because it gives us a picture of a wonderful Savior. Notice some of the things he tells us the angel told in the message he gave. She shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And here's the reason why. For he shall save his people from their sins. If you understood that the name Jesus is a Hebrew word, and it literally is understood to mean Jehovah is salvation. Now, why would this baby be given a name like that? How could he bring salvation. And what did he bring salvation from? If you look at his life, if you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you don't see someone who comes and sets up a kingdom, which is what they thought the Messiah would do. Hey, listen, you talk to any Jew in that day, by the way, you still talk to any Jew today who, who don't believe that the Messiah has come And their idea is that when the Messiah comes, he's going to set up a kingdom. He's going to rule on this earth. He is going to reign. He is going to set down all other kings, and he is going to rule as king in Jerusalem, and the Jews are going to rule with him. Now, here's the truth. That day is to come. And the Bible talks about it. There will be a time when Jesus reigns and rules on this earth. But when the Messiah came the first time, he didn't come to save the Jews from the captivity of being under the Roman government. When the Messiah came the first time, he came to provide a way for men to be saved from their sins. There was a great spiritual need that men had, and that's what Jesus Christ was coming to take care of. That's what this Jesus, this baby, was going to do. He was going to be the Savior. He wasn't going to save them from bondage of a foreign government, although someday that will happen. No, he was going to come the first time to save them from their sins. In fact, it even tells us that very fact. He shall save his people from their sins. He provided a way for sin to be forgiven from the punishment that sin brings. What is the punishment of sin? Death. Eternal separation from God, judgment in a place called hell, the lake of fire. It's talked about at the end of the book of Revelation. It is a place of torment. It is a place that God doesn't want anyone to go to, but all men are headed there for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what's so great about this message that even though the story is birthed in crisis and trouble and problems for Joseph, for Mary, and for many other people that were involved with the Christmas story, it's wonderful because it tells us of someone who's going to save people from their sins, and that's the greatest need that mankind has. And so Jesus Christ, this Jesus, this baby, was going to be the one who would provide the way of salvation. A preacher told a story. He told about his friend Nathan. And it was kind of a very moving story for him. He said, my friend Nathan was on the 61st floor of Tower 2 on 9-11 when a hijacked jetliner flew into the World Trade Center. He continued, I was deeply moved by the story Nathan told. He was coming out of the restroom, and he remembers seeing a piece of burning paper floating by the window. And that was his first sign, his first picture at all in his mind of the horror that was going to follow. He realized uh, very shortly thereafter that uh, he might be in danger. And so he did what anyone would naturally do. He headed, like many others did, for the stairwell. Nathan shared his account of being in the stairwell and what it was like. It was jammed with people, some were screaming. People were just running, trying to get out. Through the terror of of first the smoke starting to fill the the stairwell, and then a quake when the plane hit their building, because he was in Tower 2, my friend finally made it to the soot-covered lobby. And he said he saw faces he'll never forget. These are his words, Nathan's words. I started seeing some of the rescue workers for the first time heading toward the stairwells, Directing us out. I I can remember the looks on some of their faces. Uh, A number of them looked just as scared as I was. I know. There's some of the people that helped save my life. And many of them never made it out themselves. The preacher went on and he said, I want to have a word with you today about the only hope of making it out. My friend told me he will be forever grateful to the rescuers who gave their lives so people like him didn't have to die. He owes his life to that. He said, I wasn't at the World Trade Center that awful day, but I understand a little how my friend feels about rescuers because I know someone who gave his life so I didn't have to die. And I owe my life to him. His name is Jesus, and he rescued me, and he wants to rescue you, too, because that's what his mission was. That's what his name meant, and that's what he came to do. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he did that very work. He was Jesus, and the angel told Joseph that before this baby was ever born, He will save his people from their sins. The courageous rescuers, what they did for my friend, Jesus did for me, the preacher said. And that's what he can do for you. It wasn't just what the preacher said. It wasn't just his friend that could share that story. The truth is there's still a savior today, Jesus the Christ, and he can save you. And that's what he longs to do. And that's what he came to do. And that message was given before he was ever born. And it was a reflection of his entire life. Because Jesus did come. And some 33 years later, he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day. He became the author of and the finisher of the plan of salvation that God designed before the world began. Jesus, a Savior. Not only do we see him as the the Savior, but he is also presented as the promised one. Now all this was done, verse 22 says, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Not only is he presented as the Savior, but verse uh, 22 and 23 remind us that this is the one that was promised. This is the Messiah that was talked about in the Old Testament. And listen, the Jews really had an issue with that. They didn't understand that. They didn't grasp that truth. But they need to know that, and so do we. That the same one talked about in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, so many times by the prophet, and in many other places in the Old Testament, the same one talked about that is called the Messiah, that is viewed as the coming one, that Jesus is that Messiah. He is the one that was promised. He is the one that was talked about before, uh, hundreds of years before he ever came. Uh, Matthew indicated in the first 16, 17 verses of this chapter that Jesus was a fulfillment of promises to Abraham, to Jacob, to, to David, right? And, uh, and so, what, four different people. Uh, did he say that uh, the David, Abraham, Jacob, and Judah? I knew I would get those correct here sooner, sooner or later. So he was a fulfillment of that promise. In this passage, he says in verse 21 and 22 that he was prophesied hundreds of years before as well to prophets. Isaiah said unto him about him, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace." And Jesus was a fulfillment of that prophecy written hundreds of years before. But not just that promise, many others. Some say hundreds. uh, There are at least dozens that reference and talk about the birth of Jesus Christ itself. Isaiah 7, 14, uh, Isaiah wrote these words. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, and here's a prophecy found in this passage. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that was the name that was given to him. Those who deal in the business of probability will tell you that the likelihood of one person fulfilling one or two prophecies is like minute. It is almost virtually, almost impossible for anyone to fulfill dozens, if not hundreds in their lifetime. But Jesus fulfilled every one. And therefore, he could claim to be the Messiah the Savior of the world. If these things aren't fulfilled, let me tell you something. He isn't the Messiah and he isn't the Savior. And yet everything that was said about him in the Old Testament, those dozens of prophecies about his birth and the the dozens uh, and multitudes of prophecies about his death and his burial and resurrection, all were fulfilled in Jesus the Christ, the one that was not yet born and yet the angel was saying, this is who He is. He is the promised one. He is the Savior. He is the one who's going to take care of the sins of the world. But verse 23 also tells us something else. Look at that last phrase. The name Emmanuel interpreted is, you say those three words with me? God with us. Let me tell you, God was with us. God was here on this earth. We just said a few moments ago the, the, the virgin birth was a miracle. That is a miracle. But that isn't the, the greatest miracle that the angel talked about. The great miracle is that God came to earth. That is, my friends, the great miracle. He was, as we often describe, the God-man man He was God come in the flesh, and therefore he could be our Savior. You say, Oh, come on, that couldn't be true. No, you have to accept that very fact, and that's what the angel was sharing with Joseph. Look, God is going to be with you. John 1 1. John wrote, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He talks about the Word being the Creator in that passage. He talks about the Word in many different ways. But the word is a person. We say, well, how do we know the word is a person? Because John in John 1 verse 14 said this, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what the angel was talking about. He said, look, that baby is going to be God with us. There is no way for a sinner to provide for sinners. He had to be sinless. And Jesus was. He was God come in the flesh. And as a result, being in flesh and yet being totally holy and pure, he could be the sacrifice that God demanded for sin. And so the angel shares that message before he was ever born and tells us who Jesus truly is. Paul understood that to be true. By the way, do you know a lot of cults today, a lot of false teachers today tell us that Jesus is not God come in the flesh? But the Bible tells us that he is. In fact, Paul wrote these words in Philippians 2. Maybe this sounds familiar to you. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Indicating, by the way, it was Jesus' decision to do this. The son decided to do this. It was of his volition. It was of his choice when the design was made back in the beginning before the worlds ever began. And in this passage, we're told that God was indeed with us. You say, well, wait a second. It doesn't say that God was with us in Philippians chapter 2. Well, it does in verse 6 when it says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus Christ was God in eternity past, and he continued to be God. He was the God man. Henry Scogel was a 17th century Scottish minister. He wrote a book. In his book he wrote these words. He said, God hath long contended with a stubborn world and threw down many blessings upon them. When all his other gifts could not prevail, he at last made a gift of himself. And that's what happened when Jesus was born. God came to dwell among us. And without controversy, Paul wrote, great is the mystery mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Look, Jesus, this baby in the manger was God come in the flesh. He's the promised one. He is the savior and he is God. And that is, if you would, the bright spot in the story that we find here in Matthew chapter 1. It's the bright spot in in the entire Christmas story that sometimes we have romanticized in our mind, but was a very difficult time, at least for those who are involved in the story. So we have the incomparable Christ. We have the inconceivable crisis. And then we have, at the end of this passage, the uncomfortable choice. It says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Look, he made a decision of the will, a choice. He obeyed. In verse 24, Joseph made his choice. He heard God, and he made a decision to obey. What did that mean? Well, think about it. What have you been pondering? We're going to divorce breaking up it's over it's done all that was thrown out the word of the angel okay i understand this to be true mary was telling me the same the same message so it must be true i'm going to accept the word that god has given to me and so he obeyed that word now what did that mean well do you think it meant that everything was fine everything was wonderful you don't think there was talk if Joseph, if they're already three months along, the Bible does say that he immediately married her. So right after this event, he goes and he marries her. You don't think the ladies in, in, uh, in Bethlehem and, and, well, around the area, Nazareth, where, where they were, you don't think they were talking? Oh, that never goes on. Why do we ever, you know, sometimes we just close out the realities of this story. Uh, She had to to live with that, and he had to live with that. The the whispers, comments, maybe the smart, snide comments that people would make. Um, Maybe the, well, Joseph is a good man, but man, that Mary. Or maybe, well, what did did the two of them do? Sometimes we think, well, there was initial pain, and the decision to obey would lead to a quiet, peaceful, wonderful life. A wonderful manger. You know, that story wasn't all that pleasant. Hey, you know what I picture in my mind? Like a, a, a month before, she's, she's eight months long, right? What do you mean the king told us we got we to gotta pay taxes? Are you happy about taxes? I shouldn't ask that question, should I? What do you mean? And and what kind of crazy guy would make us go to our home city where we were born? And Mary, you're eight months. What are we going to do? I can't leave you here. You don't think that was a hard decision? How many ladies want to travel when you're nine months pregnant? Yeah, and that's in, that's in our day with air-conditioned cars and everything else, you know, and, and nice, comfortable ride. I mean, I know that my wife, when it comes to, you know, when it got to nine months with the, the three kids, it was like, you know, I want to get this over with. And here is this family forced to travel, um, they say, four to seven days, some say that, some say a week and a half to two weeks travel. And we're, we're we're talking about donkey travel here, or walking. We'll see. That's good. See that that bring the move the pregnancy along. Two weeks of walking. Okay, but but we don't think of that when we think of the story. This is a story that's just birthed in 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 great anguish and and difficulty and pain. You no, know. and. And what kind of bizarre idea to make people go to their home city? Why can't you be taxed here? Why do I, just, okay, where were you born? I was born in New Britain, Connecticut. So if I was living in that day, I would have to travel from here to New Britain, Connecticut in order to pay my taxes. What kind of bizarre king is that? Okay, now you all are hating on the government. I know, I understand that. But but is there any reason to that? Does that even make sense? But the baby had to be born there. Do you think maybe the conversation was, I don't know when the announcement was made, but we do know Caesar Augustus made this decision. Okay, I don't know how long they had, but they obviously didn't have plans to get a Motel 6 because there was no Motel 6 that had any rooms left. And I don't know if they waited until the last possible minute because they were hoping she would have the baby before. And then maybe made the decision. It didn't come. We got to go now. We got to get there because we got to pay our taxes by April 15th. Because that's the date everyone has to pay taxes. They had to be. Okay. That isn't in the Bible. Just want you to know that. But but do you see the the what do I do Mary you're you're too far along I can't I can't leave you and for some reason I just believe Mary you need to go with me and and then they get there you say there's no room for them in the inn and that we romanticized that story that was a crisis can you imagine you know Joseph Joseph leaving Mary in in the donkey I'll go in and I'll check and I'll see if there's any rooms, and then then coming out, you know, in their air-conditioned donkey, their heated donkey, yeah, it's winter heated donkey. <laughs> okay, all right, we're getting we're getting we're getting silly here, but um, here, here's the fact: when he made that decision, it led to all sorts of trouble in his life, and heartache and difficulties. Um, but it was right and it all led to the fulfillment of a prophecy that had to be fulfilled where they were where they lived if he was born there he wouldn't have been the Messiah he had to be in Bethlehem and the only way to get him there was to make him pay some silly tax and have to go to his home city but God knew that so you say Pastor, why did you share all those things and why talk about that story? Because I like just looking at the nice things in the story and I do as well. But there are a number of reasons why. So let me share with you some, we'll call them undeniable conclusions from our passage today. Let me just share a few thoughts. First, we have to start with the incomparable Christ, and understand this, Jesus is the Savior of the world, and if you have never become part of his family, if you're not part of the family of God, if you've never been saved, you need to be, because that's why Jesus came. So if you're here today, and you don't even know what we're talking about, maybe you, you I've heard about Jesus before, and I've heard that he was a Savior, and I've always had this wonderful picture and everything else. No, look, the reason Jesus came was to die, He came for that purpose. That was his focus. That was his ministry. That was his life. He came to die, to be buried, and rise again so that he might provide answer for your sin because there was no answer for your sin other than a blood sacrifice, and Jesus made that, and you need him. So an undeniable conclusion from our passage and from our story, even in all this difficulty, is you need to be saved, and that is the most important message, and that is the message God doesn't want you to miss. If you're here today and you don't know, for sure you're headed to heaven because God has a plan of salvation and that plan was found and provided for in the baby Jesus who died to save us from our sins. But you know, that's not the only lesson and that's not the only message to learn. In this story, those who are part of the family of God, and I knew I'd be preaching to a number of people that already are part of the family of God, understand this that a lot of times living for God involves great sacrifice and difficulty. This story is a powerful message about a God who meets needs, but he doesn't take away suffering and sorrow. Because he didn't. These people had to go through a number of difficulties. It was one after another. Mary has the difficulty of explaining to Joseph in the first place when she comes back that I'm expecting. And then Joseph struggles and agonizes over this decision. And then they have to face the mocking of people and the comments and the other things that are made. And then they have to face a number of things about his life. When they made the decision that they were going to go through this, Joseph, they ended up running to Egypt. They ended up living a life, if you would, for the first couple of years of of great difficulty. So living for God sometimes means suffering. And the amazing story of the incarnation tells us that things aren't always beautiful when you do what God wants, but they're right. And that God will see you through and he'll meet every need. He did that for Joseph. He did that for Mary. Every difficulty, every struggle, he brought them through. And let me remind you from, this, from the story of the birth of Christ that he'll do the same for you. If God can work in so many miraculous ways as he did and if God can provide for the needs when they needed it at the right time in the right way, why do we ever question if God can meet our needs today? And why do we get angry with God for allowing us to go through difficulty? Because that's part of his plan. I know it's easy to say when you're not in difficulty. It's easy to preach when, you know, you're not going through hard times. It's easy to get up and say, well, we should be content with this. Joseph and Mary had to learn it, and so do we, and so has everyone on the face of this earth throughout history. That life is often a series of difficult Times and decisions and crisis situations. But when you have God on your side, he meets every need. And Matthew 1, uh, the, the, the first, the most important message, the glorious message is the birth of Jesus Christ. But Matthew 1 is also a message to me as a Christian. That there's a God in heaven who knows my pain and will meet my needs. He did that for Joseph, he did that for Mary, he did that through the entire story. He did that for wise men who sought him in Luke chapter two, I mean, Matthew chapter two. And he did that for everyone in the Old Testament that he used to be in the line of Jesus Christ. Living for God sometimes means suffering, sometimes it means and often will mean sacrifice, but there is a God in heaven who will always make the sacrifice worthwhile we have a man in Joseph that we can learn from who said okay God here's what you allowed in my life and here's what you're telling me to do and I'll do it and may we have the same kind of heart because it's then that God can work and God can meet the need by the way it was only when he had that attitude where, where God did work So, it's not the pretty story that we often imagine. And and I understand why we don't want to imagine it. But there are so many things for us to think about and consider. Not only who Jesus is, which is the primary message, but as well who God is and how he works in the lives of his people, day in and day out. And may we learn from Matthew 1 that there's a God in heaven that cares. And that doesn't take away the pain or the suffering but goes with us through it and helps us at every step of the way in every juncture to meet the need so that we might fulfill his purpose for our life. Joseph had a purpose in God's plan, an important plan and he has a pur- God has a purpose in your life as well. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If, uh, the most important message by far exceeding all others is that Jesus was born, the savior of the world, the one who came to die for sinners. And I wanna ask you this morning, Do you know him? Are you part of his family? If you can say, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I know I'm part of the family of God. I know that because there was a time in my life where I realized I was a sinner, that Christ died for my sin, and I put my trust, my faith in him. And I know I've done that. If you can say that as a testimony, don't worry about anyone else. If you can say that, I know I'm saved. I know I'm part of the family of God. I know there was a time in my life where I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and I'm His. If you can say that, would you raise your hand just as a testament to that fact? I know that. Wonderful. Great. Excellent. You put your hands down. I'm so thankful for many who have come to that place in realization. If you're here and you would say, you know, preacher... (laughs) I don't know for sure I'm saved. I don't know if I'm part of the family of God. I've never really even understood this baby Jesus anyway. But what you preach today makes sense, and I'm interested. I'd like to know more about that. I'd like to know if I'm part of his family, and I'm concerned about that. If you'd say that, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you down. I'm not going to come to you and make you do anything. I would just like to know of your concern, and I'd like to pray for you won't save you but it'll give me a chance to just pray for you and know of your need if you say preacher i don't know if i've ever been saved but i'm concerned about that would you pray for me would you just slip up a hand again i won't embarrass you i just like to know of your concern of your need i don't know if i'm saved don't know if i'm part of god's family but i'd like to know and i'm concerned about that pray for me anyone All say that today if you're part of the family of god and you're here today And we can all rejoice in the birth of of Christ. may we also see that there's a God in heaven who cares about us and can meet our deepest needs in crisis. And maybe God's spoken to you today and there's some business you need to do with God. I want to encourage you to talk to him about it and trust him even in the darkest days. Father, I thank you for your word. Thanks for the chance you've given us to look at this wonderful story and see uh, a number of lessons that can help us in life. And I do pray if there be anyone here that's unsaved that today would be the day of salvation for them and for those who know you, that we may be people who, like Joseph, trust you and find you to be that friend who can meet our needs. And we pray this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand to your feet if you'd do that? We'd like to have an invitation time at the end of a service, give an opportunity to those whom God has spoken to to respond. If there's some business you need to do with God, if you're a Christian, you need to talk to him about something. Maybe you haven't handled your struggles of life right, and there's some things you need to give to God, then this would be a good time to get on your knees and pray and talk to the Lord about it. If you're here and you don't know you're saved, we'd love to have someone take a Bible and show you how you can know that for sure. And we'd invite you to come as... Uh, Brother Robertson will sing a song of invitation. As he begins to sing, if there's something decision you need to make, I want to encourage you to respond as he sings. Roberts is just going to play the next verse. And as she plays, if there's some business you need to do with God, some decision you need to make, the door is open for you. Thank you, Father, for uh, sharing with us the great news that uh, a Savior has come, that God was with us and provided a way of salvation. Thank you as well for teaching us through the lives of Joseph and Mary that you're a God in heaven who is concerned about the needs of your children and that you meet them when we have them. And may we trust you in the greatest difficulties and situations of life. Well thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you as you follow him.